Welcome to the Stockman Grass Farmer Podcast, where our mission is to help create a healthy planet and people through profitable grass-based livestock production. Grass farming is a 24-7 job and you can't always get away, so we've put together this podcast so that you can listen while you work or whatever you're doing, but always on your schedule, whenever and wherever you want. Be sure to check out the episode notes for links to freebies and special offers. Join our email family and stay up to date on our happenings and like us on social media. This episode comes from the Meg School. Jim Garrish discusses what really determines profitability in grass farming. We'll let him go from there. So this is the next step in our educational process. And this school, we started with uh, talking about profitability and what drives it in ranching, or are we really doing grass farming? You know, Alan's the one who really popularized that term and pushed it, that we need to shift our mindset from that, that we're cattlemen or sheep producers to we're grass farmers. And then fundamentally what grass farming really means is we are solar energy converters to meet milk and fiber. So we co- there's people here from the east coast, from the western, you know, the mountain region, from the south of Texas, uh, Mississippi, and from Iowa now, so kind of heart of the Corn Belt country. We come from adverse background. So do you call your operation, a ranch, is a farm, is specifically a grass farm. So we're going to uh, look at some underlying principles that drive profitability in the grass farming slash ranching slash conversion to meet milk and fiber. <clears throat> in the beginning school, we started, you know, on day one, first session with this premise that there's only four necessary ingredients to making meat milk and fiber. It's carbon dioxide, sunlight, water, and soil minerals. Uh, Those are what we would call natural resources. They're not manufactured. We don't buy them per se, but you know with the the solar panel there, solar energy, we always make the point that solar energy is free, but our solar collector, the land itself, is not free. So what we're really, uh, the type of agriculture that I'm involved with and the ranching approach that we work with is managing ecosystem processes or working with natural ecosystem processes rather than being reliant on purchased input, diesel fuel over which we have no control, the cost of equipment over which we have no control, What we focus on is managing the things that we can manage and control. And that's solar energy flow, water cycle, mineral cycle, and biodiversity. So that brings us to, well, what in all of these things is really uh, driving the profit of our business? And there's a number of different factors that we might consider. 
and when you're with a, a group of fellow producers, these are some of the things, you know, they get bandied about. Uh, if, if weaning weights, labor costs, investment, operating, calf price, feed costs, weaning percent, cow size. All of these are things that we think might be affecting profitability. And so these are the things that, you know, we weigh in and consider. And through the course of this morning, <clears throat> we're going to sort through a lot of these factors and see how they really stack up and what does make a difference to the bottom of line in a um, ranching or grass farming operation. Profit is our motivation. For some people, it is the number one motivation of why they're in the business. For some people, the love of the lifestyle is actually a greater driving factor than the drive for profit, but I don't think anybody actually wants to lose a ton of money in their recreational ranching enterprise. So um, a lot of the things that I'm going to be talking about are the same things um, that would be taught and talked about in ranching for profit schools. Has anyone here been through the ranching for profit program? One, two, I'm uh, going to encourage everyone else in the room, if you're serious about being in this business and not just a hobby, not just a lifestyle consideration, go to a ranching for profit school. It's, yeah, it's a week of your life and it's a couple thousand bucks, but it's one of the best investments you will ever make in working towards uh, being truly successful in the ranching business. I did ranching for profit class, I don't remember if it was the late 80s or very early 90s. Um, and it obviously has shaped the way that I have thought about everything in the ranching business since that time. But if profit is your motivation, profit is a remarkably simple concept. It is your income minus your cost of production. Now, in, and what I'm talking about here, we're, we're going to spend the first <clears throat> probably 30, 40 minutes talking about what are really just basic business principles. Uh, they're not unique to farming or ranching. These are broad concepts of business management. So if you want to increase profit, you have a couple options. You increase income and or you reduce costs. These are the basic avenues of increasing the revenue stream. You add units of production, run more cows. Now, if you are losing $150 on every cow that you own today, do you think it makes sense to get 50 more of them? Probably not. Probably not. Um, if you are making $150 in every cow that you have today, would it make sense to add more? Yes, it does, unless you have to add additional costs. Maybe adding those 50 more cows is the break point between you doing everything yourself and having to hire someone. So those 50 cows not only cost you the price of 50 cows, they cost you the uh, salary of another employee. Or do you have to lease more land and leases are really expensive in your area? Or do you have to do this? Or do you have to do that? Adding, even if you're making money on every cow right now, adding 50 more cows 
may or may not mean that you actually are improving your profit margin. That's why we have to know about the cost. Uh, receive a higher price per unit. This is marketing rather than just selling. It is creating value-added products rather than selling a commodity product. Um, when I started in this grazing research and education and practicing business in the 1980s, there were basically no premiums in the cattle business. There were discounts for bad eyes, bad feet, bad udders, bad disposition, bad horns. And so the thing you primarily tried to do was create cattle or sheep, whatever livestock it was, that was not susceptible to being discounted. Now there are premiums throughout the business. Even if you are just producing commodity beef, there are opportunities for adding to your paycheck by source verification, certain you know breed programs the most successful marketing program in the whole beef industry is what certified, certified angus beef <clears throat> certified angus beef um, is it real yeah about this much of it is real how much of it is hype about this much of it but damn they are good marketers and so you know it, it, if you're just strictly selling your cow calf you're selling calves at weaning but if they are black Angus, there's that bit of a premium there. And so we can get a higher price per unit. And then the third avenue is diversification, adding enterprises. If you're strictly in the cow-calf business, why don't you add a stocker program? If you're in a cow-calf business on a property that is overrun with brush, why don't you add a goat enterprise? If you're selling grass-fed beef and every time you're at the farmer's market, somebody asks, hey, do you have grass-fed lamb as well? Maybe you should add a sheep enterprise. What about if you want to get away from using insecticides, pour on insecticides and dewormers on your cattle, and you don't want to use any of those pharmaceuticals, how are you going to control the parasites? Adding a layer operation, free-range layers, great for cleaning up all the parasites in a pasture. So those are ways that we can increase our revenue stream. And then on the other side of the equation, we have reducing costs. We have two categories of costs. Um, traditional economists, they talk about fixed costs and variable costs. Well, op operating costs are what we would consider the variable costs. These are costs that change as you increase the units of production. Um, I learned in ranching for profit long, long time ago uh, not to say fixed costs because those costs are not fixed. If you change the business model, you can make some of those go away. We talk about overheads. Overheads are the cost of being in business, and we'll go through this in a little more detail here. But we need to be aware that we have you know, two, a couple different layers of costs. And for people who buy a ranch kind of recreationally and then end up saying, you know, I decided I kind of liked running cattle. But you decide um, a little too late after you have built a fancy barn and you've overinvested in this and you've overinvested in that and you've created a ton of overheads on that property that are more overheads than your carrying capacity can support. So uh, I 
very many situations I see hidden overheads or unrecognized overheads as being what sinks the business. I take cost accounting very seriously. Again, if you are in the business, you need to have an accounting system that's a little more advanced than, you know, scratching down what you, or I'll say just your check ledger. Yeah, your check ledger tells you how much money you've paid out. How many people use checks? There are people who, use, who no longer use checks. In we, um, in, out of our personal checking account, I'm not sure we write 10 checks a year. <clears throat> so um, we, there, there's all kinds of accounting opportunities out there. Um, we've been using QuickBooks for a number of years, and it does the job. Um, once you know how to work within it, you can you know, create different enterprises. You can allocate you know, from a single credit card payment. You can allocate those charges to different enterprises. So um, I, th I think you have to have some kind of more sophisticated accounting program than just your checkbook. And that allows you to track costs more accurately and to allocate costs to enterprises as they need to be. And to me, that's very important. Because where, as we go through this, we're going to talk about identifying where your profit centers are, what is causing you your losses. And you can really only figure that out if you have accurate and consistent accounting. Hope you're enjoying the presentation and we'll jump right back in. But I wanted to first remind you to visit the show notes for freebies, deals, and more. While you're there, don't forget to join our email family to stay up to date on all the current events. Now back to the show. Rural property based on its agricultural production value. Almost everywhere, it's development opportunity, energy opportunities, recreational values, aesthetics. Those are the things that drive the cost of land. Um, where we lived in Missouri, it was deer hunting and turkey hunting that floored what the land price was going to be. And the Kansas City, St. Louis people who had extra money to invest in, you know, recreational hunting properties, they were willing to pay much more than what a farmer or rancher could pay for that land and expect to pay for it out of agricultural production. That's largely based on commodity. So land ownership is a huge overhead cost. Salaries and labor. If you are working in this business, you've retired from your other life job, and now you're on this property and you say, it needs to pay me a fair wage, you have to build that into your budgeting, that your fair wage is there. You don't want to do this and at the end hope that there's money left over. And if you've been a lifetime farmer or rancher and you have never built the, your salary into the budget, that's probably why your spouse works in town. And it might be why you also work in town because the farm is simply not paying you a living wage. 
And so from the outset, as you start planning these businesses that you're going to be in, make sure that's in there, what you need to earn. Um, it'll uh, show up later, but I'll say it right now. If you look at the average of the cow-calf industry in the United States in terms of return on investment, it's just slightly better than a break-even business. The annual return on the average in the cow-calf business is between 1 and 2%. If we look at the top 15% of cow-calf operations in the United States, they consistently make double-digit return on investments. If we look at the bottom 15%, they consistently experience double-digit loss in equity every year. And you can't sustain that as a real business, and that's why people work in town or they sell the place. Um, for those of you who were in the earlier school, we talked about equipment depreciation and its association with winter feed costs, and that for the smaller, um, uh, for smaller farms and ranches, one of the biggest costs, biggest unrecognized costs they have is overcapitalization in equipment, and it becomes a huge burden on those 40 cows, 50 cows, 200 cows that you own. Uh, facility depreciation, building barns, you know, a Temple Grandin type corral for your 30 cows, it's not going to pay. And then utilities, insurance, taxes. Those are what we put, typically put into the category of overhead costs. Whether you run 50 cows or 500 cows on the property, you are going to incur these types of costs. Then we have the uh, variable costs or operating costs. And these are, as we expand our scale of operation, we're running more animals. These are costs that typically go up with each additional animal that you bring onto the place. Now, the cost per animal might be trending downward because of economy of scales, but uh, <clears throat> when we bring one more cow onto the place, we got a feeder, there's going to be some vet cost. Um, we have fuel, machine, operating, trucking, day labor, and we can add to this. So uh, full-time salaries and labor, we consider that is an overhead because you're going to pay yourself and the hired man who's been with you for the last 17 years and you know you love his kids and all that, he's probably going to be staying on the property unless you are really, really hard-nosed. And so those full your salary and any full-time employees, those are overheads. If we bring in day labor to help you know, when we're processing cattle or someone to drive a tractor for three weeks while we're making hay, uh, that kind of labor is an operating cost. We're going to talk about gross margin analysis now. And what gross margin is, and again, this is general business principles. It's not uh, unique to ranching in any sense of the word. A gross margin is the difference between the value of the product you're selling and the operating cost to produce it. Another way we can express gross margin is returns to overhead. Gross margin is what is left to pay for the overheads, okay? So, uh, in any manufacturing business, we think in terms of gross margin target being greater than 
And we are in the manufacturing business. We are manufacturing meat, milk, fiber from that set of natural resources. But the, the way that we need to structure our business and think about it is the same way any manufacturing business thinks about their output. We have a set of inputs. We're generating a product. What does it cost us to generate that product? So our target is going to be 50% gross margin. Here's an example. Uh, it, we, we, okay, so we've got a cow. And I'm going to make this real simple and say the product of this cow-calf pair is the calf. There are actually a couple other products that we should be accounting the cost for. Sale of call cows, sale of call bulls, uh, that, that, those are income streams that every cow-calf business has. We sometimes just think about the, the calf as the product, but what we actually have is a gross income per cow unit, and that gross income is the sum of the value the calf she produces, the call cow value, you know, every year we're going to sell some call cows, and we spread that income, we assign it to every cow in the herd. Every cow, every year, gets a share of call cow income. Every cow gets a share of call bull income. So even though I'm saying the value of a calf is $800, the reality is the gross income per cow, we're going to say, is $800. Uh, so the variable costs for keeping, carrying that cow, we've got pegged at $520. So if we uh, subtract the $520 operating cost from $800, we have a gross margin of $280, which is 35%. Our goal is to have 50% gross margin. How can we increase gross margin? Retain ownership. You say retain ownership. So don't sell the calf at that time. Let it grow some more. Add to the value. That's what you're saying? What does that do? to this cost because we always have to be thinking in terms of the cost to carry the unit, not the individual cow or the individual calf, the cost to carry the unit. So yeah, we could retain ownership, we could add weight to that animal, value to that animal, but that will come also at an increase in cost. It may or may not increase our gross margin. We cut your costs. All right. <clears throat> if you're in this situation, your profit margin will increase much more by reducing the cost by $100 than by adding $100 to the value of the product. If we're thinking in terms of percentages and rates of return, cost, if you have gross margin less than 50%, it will always pay to reduce costs, to focus on cost reduction rather than adding to increase production. This gets into that idea that if you're losing money on every cow you own right now, you're not going to save the ranch by getting 100 more cows. You first have to become profitable with each cow that you own. Then we look at the overhead ratio, and that's pretty easy to figure out. It is how much of your total costs are tied up in overheads. It's, and that's how you calculate it. It's, overhead divided by gross income, 
Now, RMC, that's Ranch Management Consultants. This is the parent company of the Ranching for Profit Schools. Um, they, they, and I'll emphasize the word must. They say that overheads must be less than 50%. Now, tell me, if you have a business where overheads are, in fact, 50% of your costs, and you have a, so you've got a 50% gross margin ratio, and you have a 50% gross margin, what do you have? Zero. You have a break-even business. You have a break-even business. That's why they say that overhead must be less than 50%. Because I have worked with so many ranches that have excess overheads due to either overcapitalization or too many people for the number of livestock that they have, I push for 33%. If you can run a cow operation on a overhead ratio of 33% and you do in fact get your gross margin to 50%, now what do you have? You have a 50% actual net return to your business. 33%, and we'll look at some numbers here, isn't a whole lot of money to have invested in overheads per cow. But if you can do that, that is what we would consider a lean and mean operation. Now the next question that you ought to be thinking about is, all right, when do I calculate this, these ratios? Is it when we're at the top of the cattle cycle? When we're at the bottom of the cattle cycle? Do I look at the average? And this is where we get into where we really separate the top 15% of ranchers from the bottom 15% of ranchers. Because the top 15% of ranchers will be looking at these ratios when they're at the bottom of the cattle cycle. So if you design your business to be profitable, or I could say at least break even, at the bottom of the cattle cycle every additional year in that you know, 10-year, we used to talk about the cattle cycle as being a 10-year process. It's variable in length now. But, um, you know, if we think about two years being the very trough of the cattle cycle and two years being the very top of the cattle cycle, we have six years of transition. So if you plan your business to be profitable at this trough, the other eight years of the cycle, you should be pretty good profitability. And again, that is right there what really separates the top tier of ranchers from the bottom tier. They have planned their business to work in the toughest of times. Sir, where are we at right now, just out of curiosity? We, we are probably just about turning out of the bottom of this cattle cycle. You know, we had peak price, we had record high prices in 13, 14, 15 to the start, and then it started coming down in 15. We have been on the downside of a cattle cycle in 16, 17, 18, and probably 18, 19, where it was the bottom, and we're starting to come back up. Now is actually a good time to be getting started in the uh, cow business, because cow prices are lower, far, far lower than they were five years ago, and a cow bought today is going to be producing calves on the rising side of the cattle cycle and she's going to get called in a high part of the cycle 
So whether you sell her as a bred cow or a, you know, open killer cow, she's going to have more value three years, four years from now than what she does today, or she should. Brandy? What, what does that do to the world market? The question was, with the bushfires in Australia and their destocking and killing a lot of cattle, what is that doing to our, uh, the cattle cycle in North America? It, is, it has a slight influence because each year that goes by, the U.S. is exporting more beef. You know, all these trade deals that we talk about from the beef side, it's all about, here's another opportunity to sell some of our beef to someone else. Well, Australia's beef production is predominantly an export economy. Um, the, I don't remember the exact size of the beef cow herd in Australia, but the total population of Australia, I think, is around about 25 million people right now. And their uh, cattle industry is smaller than the U.S., but it's greater than a 25% share. So proportionally, there's a lot more beef cattle per capita in Australia than there is in the U.S. And so they have always been an export economy because they are closer to Japan, Korea, China. They have been a major exporter to the Pacific Rim countries. If Australian cattle numbers do in fact go down substantially, that opens up some of that market demand in the uh, Pacific Rim Asian countries, and the U.S. is hoping to fill that with trade agreement, the, the China trade agreement. Supposedly, we have the opportunity to ship more beef to China, and if we are replacing Australian beef, then as Australian beef supply goes down because of their tough situation, that should be a positive influence on U.S. beef prices. I hope you enjoyed this presentation. Well, check out the episode notes. And always remember the advice from cows and be outstanding in your field. See you next time.